Hey guys, it's Ed, and I am joined once again by Will. Hello, hello, hello. How are y'all doing? Why do I why do I do that as my intro? I know that we don't do this lot, so people can't respond to me. Probably couldn't even. Will is Will is joining me once again because apparently I'm not to be trusted by myself. Drink one fifth of tequila. Uh, no, we're joining because this is the yearly Oscars. Yes, we are. We are here presenting our picks. Our, our hot takes on this year's Oscar nominees. Cold takes at this point, but to, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's start with the biggest snob, uh, <laughs> biggest snub overall. There was no nominations for The Woman King. Uh, it had been widely expected to at least garner a Best Picture nomination and a Best Actress for Viola Davis, who is a perennial favorite. Yes, on account of being Viola Davis. <laughs> sort of uh, setting off a bit of a theme for the night. A lot. Um, the nominations list uh, surprised a lot of people. A lot of the expected uh, movies that were expected to be nominated for awards weren't. Movies that weren't ex- were expected to be nominated weren't expected to be nominated. A bunch of actors and performances uh, slipped in as dark horses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's sort of a theme for every year, but it feels a little more pronounced this year, or at least it feels like uh, in your notes you've had a little more, you've noted a little more of them than you have this year. <laughs> I, I do think that there you were actually more. Actually, have one for every category or most of them. I, I do think that this year was much different than most years. Um, but let's talk about some fun facts here. Uh, Glass Onion is in the adapted screenplay category because it's a sequel. That seems to be a very silly rule to apply. I mean, sure, it's a sequel, but you're not actually uh, adapting anything, you know? I mean, it's a new story. That's kind of the point of it. There's only one character in it from the previous movie. Yeah, uh, I, I was going to say, I would argue um, if this was like a, a Captain America or a Iron Man, I get it. But Glass Onion is a wholly original script, and it should be an original screenplay, but that's the Academy for you. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I guess they're continuing their vendetta against Netflix in any way they can possible. There is that, too, yeah. (laughs) Oh, this is kind of a baffling snub. Uh, there's been a lot of uh... can we cut for a sec actually yeah and we're live alright so now that we've given ourselves a little bit of given a little bit of background uh, for things being chaotic this year should we get to the introductions yeah I think so I think that would be wise all right in that case, we're going to start off by uh, we're going to start giving the nominees for some of the major awards and our thoughts on the nominations and who's likely to win each one. We're going to start out with the award that I care about, but the Academy certainly doesn't: the award for best animated feature. Five movies in this category. There are starting with Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with the Shoes On. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Disney's Turning Red. This uh, this is a hard one. Um, yeah. This is, fun fact, this is either the third or fourth time that a Shrek film has been nominated for Best Animated Feature. Shrek actually won uh, Best Animated Feature in 2001, the first year of the category was... Uh, was announced, but yeah, I agree. This is a really competitive. This is a really competitive race this year. I I'm putting my money on Puss in Boots. 
Um, Puss in Boots going for the uh, the dark horse candidate. Well, not that dark horse actually. It's gotten a huge amount of good press recently. Word of mouth on that thing is word of mouth on that movie is insane. Word of word of, word of mouth is just over the top. Um, it signaled to movie theaters that families want to come back to the theater. Um, I wouldn't discount Turning Red, uh, but I think there's a little bit too much controversy surrounding it. Hmm. How do you mean? With the uh, right-wing nuts um, being upset that it talks about a subject that um, many shy away from, uh, despite it being a very normal part of a female's life. Yes, may I say it directly? Yes, of course. Yes, the period issue. We are not a little fucking right wing wing nut <laughs> babies. Uh, well, I think um, I think you got you got you got to keep in mind who's doing the voting here. It's the academy, and they love nothing more than patting themselves on the back for being progressive. Well, uh, except maybe navel gazing. They might love navel gazing more. But I think between that and the fact that it's a Disney movie, and so it's probably one of the only movies on the list that most of these people have heard of or seen, it's got a very good uh, chance to take it that, or possibly Del Toro's Pinocchio, because of Guillermo Del Toro, who admittedly has supposedly turned out a pretty good one this year. But um, I can, uh, I think you can make a case for any of these winning, although I would be surprised if the Sea Beast got it. Uh, I think this is a very uh, this is going to be a close race. Yeah, I, this is one where I think any any one of them could walk away with it, but I think Puss in Boots is is my favorite. Well, uh, that is certainly the one that has supposedly it's gotten higher uh, reviews than Turning Red. This is another year where every DreamWorks uh, DreamWorks output got higher reviews in total than uh, Disney's output. All right, we are moving on to Best Original Song. This is another fairly competitive race. Uh, We have applause from Tell It Like a Woman, music and lyrics by Diane Warren, who is a surprise nominee. Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick, music and lyrics by Lady Gaga and Blood Pop. Lift Me Up from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Uh, Music... By Tim's Rihanna, Ryan Coogler, and Ludwig Gordonson. Lyrics by Tim's and Ryan Coogler. Nato Nato from RRR. Music by M.M. Caravani. Lyrics by Shenda Bose. This is a Life from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Music by Ryan Lott, David Bjorn. And Mitski, lyrics by Ryan Lott and David Bjorn. This one has, um, Diane Warren's nomination is technically a surprise, um, but it's like the 15th time she's been nominated. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you can really call that a surprise. So you think this is the Academy giving her the, uh, the we should have given you this one earlier award? I do, yeah. Um, Especially since they didn't nominate Taylor Swift for Carolina um, in Where the Crawdags Sing. Um, the, it feels like they just opened up the field for her. As mm-hmm. much as I love Gaga, she's already won this award. And I don't think anyone else comes close to Diane Warren. Yeah. Well, as for my take on that, uh... yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is a weird year. Um, I'm thinking in terms of, uh, I don't know, Top Gun Maverick really did a lot for the cinema this year, and obviously Lady Gaga is Lady Gaga. She is a generational talent, but I do think in this case you have done the smart move and kept in mind who is doing the voting. So I think we'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and back your back your guess for Diane Warren, but like I said, I am... Not entirely, but mostly talking out my ass here on this award. I mean, Gaga is always a good guess. Um, and, and you're right. Ma- uh, Top Gun Maverick did a lot for cinema this year, but I don't know that it's going to be able to overcome the uh, we fucked you over 14 times. 
So, uh, I mean, they did eventually give Leo the Oscar for, uh, <laughs> for the Revenant. <laughs> sort of hilarious because both the role he was in before and the role he was in after would have been better for the Oscar than that. Oh, Academy! <laughs> uh, the Academy, the Academy should change it. It's not really much, not really much scholarly learning or discussion going on there. But anyway. It's time to move on to our next category. And here are the nominees for Best Supporting Actress. We have Angela Bassett for her role in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Hong Chow in for The Whale. Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inisharan. Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And Stephanie Sue also for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. A lot of people were expecting Janelle Monet to appear in here from her role in Glass Onion, which I saw, and she was very, very good in it. Uh, but she did not get the nod. I, you know, I, I do feel bad for her because she's super-duper talented. I love her. I've seen her in concert. I don't think this was her year. I think she has better roles coming up that she'll she'll get that nomination. Well, that was a good role. I mean, if you if you have you seen Glass Onion? Uh, no, I'm going to be uh, watching it for research this weekend. Actually, go ahead. I, I shouldn't give away the game then, though, because her part is extremely layered, and I think she did a really good job with it. <clears throat> Everything but, I've seen, she's um, they've said the same thing that she's she's just super good. I just feel like this is this is her first major breakout movie. And I think the Academy is waiting to see if she has that staying power. Hmm. It's not something before, but I guess they just said, but no, no, no. you want to hear about our predictions, not our pointless <laughs> rambling. But maybe. But in any case, my guess here is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I can't believe this is actually the first time that she's gotten nominated for an Oscar. Uh, my guess is also Jamie Lee Curtis. This seems to be her comeback year. Um, I mean, also, I mean, that's mind-boggling that she hasn't been even nominated before. It, it is, honestly. Um, she was sharing things on social media about her finding out that she was nominated. And most of the time I can tell when an actor is doing a PR stunt. And everything she posted just seemed so genuine. She really did not expect to get nominated. Um and I'm going to share this story really fast just because um, I think it's uh, pertinent to um, the Cinderella story that everything that is everything everywhere all at once. A24 had been sitting on the script. They were just seconds away from putting it in turnaround when Michelle Yao asked Jamie Lee Curtis to star in it, to, to take the role. And because Michelle and Jamie are friends, Jamie was like, yeah, you know, whatever. I'll, you know, I'll do this. It's, it, it sounds like fun. So it went from almost going into turnaround to the most nominated movie of the year. Yeah, everything to everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think it's just that kind of, I think the Academy is going to love that story of, you know, Jamie Lee coming in and, lending her name to, to this movie, and that's going to put her over the top. All right. <clears throat> um, hey, that... we're on the same page on this one for once. <laughs> you get some good arguments going. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you guys care about my knowledge of pop culture BS. You just want to hear our Best Supporting Actor guesses. <laughs> so here are the nominees for Best Supporting Actor. Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Insurin. Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway. And he was a surprise nominee. Uh, Judd Hirsch in The Fablemans. He's also a surprise nominee. Barry Cogan in The Banshees of Insurin. Kihoi Kwan in Everything, All, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um... The biggest snub here was Paul Dano from The Fablemans. Yeah, I think people were really expecting to, him to get the nod instead of Judd Hirsch for that movie. Yeah, and I, I think um, I, I think that makes sense. The think pieces I read in research for this 
also that Judge Hirsch is basically just an, an extended cameo. Um, that being said, he's my guest. I think he's going to walk away with it. He'll be the oldest winner. Um, should he take home the gold? Hmm. Well, there is something to be said for that. I mean, if they're putting somebody in for an extended cameo, then that suggests that it's more about the determination to give this one specific guy an award than the quality of the performances. Yeah. Involved. I, that seems to be kind of the uh, theme here for <laughs> for the acting awards. Um, I've heard Jamie Lee is actually excellent as in Everything Everywhere All at Once, but I've not heard the same thing about Judd Hirsch. I've heard almost nothing about Judd Hirsch. I Before I saw the nomination, I could not have told you he was in the movie. <laughs> I think there's a reason for that. <laughs> And I, you know, I've heard a lot about this movie in recent days. My mom is a really, really big fan of it, so I've been... <laughs> did she make you watch it? No, she did not make me watch it. Uh, but I have definitely been getting the download on it, and I may need to see it before the actual Oscars so I can uh, be more entrenched in my opinions, realistically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It... So... I think it's time we should move on to the big four. Oh. You know, the ones you've been waiting for, the ones you spend the entire time at the Oscars waiting for as well while they go through all the cinematography awards. At least we don't take three hours to get there. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and we have, we have 100% fewer Amy Schumer cameos, which is just, which is, uh, I think, another huge point in our favor. <laughs> True. <laughs> and people almost never get slapped on this on drug gossip. Oh, we don't talk about what happens behind the scenes? <laughs> people almost never get slapped where you can see it on drug gossip. <laughs> Who are the nominees for best director? <laughs> All right. So, starting off, we have Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inisherin. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. Todd Field for Tar. And Ruben Ostland for Triangle of Sadness. Snubs on, the, snubs on this one. Uh, there was a lot of noise uh, Hugh and Cry raised about uh, there being no female directors nominated, despite it being kind of a year with a couple of high-profile movies for them. Ryan Coogler skipped a nomination for his uh, for the Black Panther sequel. Baz Luhrmann and Elvis and James Cameron dodged as well. I don't really think... Uh, Baz Luhrmann directed Babylon this year, right? Uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, you're, no, you're, that was Damien Chazelle. Yeah, I was going to say. I could not think of his name, but I knew Yeah, it. I don't think there was any chance of him making it on this list. No. Uh, not with those reviews. <laughs> I remember that movie had a huge, um, seeing so much like popular, you know, they blasted that movie on trailers and like the fucking, in the trailers for like the Knicks game to a crowd that are absolutely never going to watch Babylon, even if it was good. I had such high hopes for Babylon because it's right up my alley. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the trailers did seem kind of pretty calculated to appeal to you. <laughs> you specifically. We must get Ed to watch this. <laughs> and then it ended up being like that. But yeah, Baz Luhrmann was uh, stumped for Elvis. But anyway, back onto the actual nominees. My guess for this one is Steven Spielberg. Because, you know... The Fablemans is a movie about filmmaking, about Steven Spielberg's uh, filmmaking, uh, about how he got into filmmaking as a career, and the Academy loves Steven Spielberg, and it loves navel-gazing. Uh, so I think this one's, um, I think they have, he has a lock on it this year. I don't think you're wrong, um, but I still disagree. <laughs> I think it's going to be Daniel Kwan <laughs> and um, Daniel Scheinert. Um because the the Academy loves to make history, and they'll be the first Asian Americans to win uh, Best Director. 
Um, that doesn't mean I think Spielberg is completely out. He could still come back and win this. Yeah. But with all the love for everything, everywhere, all at once, I, I almost think that they're a lock. Well, I think everywhere, everywhere, all at once is... Well, we'll get to my thoughts on that later, but uh, I have my own reasons why I think they won't win Best Director. Uh, but you are right. The The only thing the Academy loves... Uh, the Academy loves patting itself on the back for being uh, progressive, only slightly less than they love navel-gazing. <laughs> so, so they do have a real shot here. I do think everybody else is kind of scrabbling for second place. Yeah, yeah. Um, the rest of them will just be also ran and get bragging rights for being a nominee. <laughs> yeah, probably though. Yeah. All right. All right. We are now up to Best Actress. Our nominees are Kate Blanchett for Tar, Anna De Armas for Blonde. Isn't it? Andrea. Riseborough uh, for To Leslie. Uh, this was a surprise nomination. Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, which is also a surprise nomination. Michelle Yao. And Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, the biggest snubs here were Olivia Coleman for Empire of Light and Margot Robbie for Babylon. Um, <laughs> I think we just discussed about how that one wasn't a snub. Although, admittedly, Margot Robbie does seem to be making a habit of turning in uh, really good performances in uh, fairly mediocre movies. Yeah, Margot Robbie, I think, is just a singular talent. I don't think Margot Robbie is, yeah, very good. Uh, Um, I didn't realize Olivia Coleman had a movie out until I seen that people were upset that she didn't get nominated, so... <laughs> I guess that tells us most of what we need to know about Empire of Light, huh? Especially since how closely you follow the entertainment industry. <laughs> Did you know she had a movie out? <laughs> no. <laughs> I sure didn't. Um, uh, my guess here. Anyway. Uh, my Go guess, ahead. My guess here is Michelle Yao for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, this just seems to be, um, between her and Jamie Lee Curtis, they carried the movie. Um, and I think they're going to really reap all the rewards. Um, Jamie Lee's probably going to need a new award shelf once, uh, award season is done. Though I would not rule out Michelle Williams, um, because she's been nominated, like, three or four other times. And the Academy might be like, here, here's your Oscar, go away, we don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not uh, tough the Oscars don't exactly uh, not liking her very much no she has been nominated for so many roles she should have won for Brokeback Mountain honestly <clears throat> um, but she has a reputation of not being a very uh, nice person <laughs> and I think that really hurts to say her. the least yeah <laughs> Uh, who are you thinking? Yeah. Well, I'm actually, I'm sort of in agreement with you. I also think this is Michelle Yao's. Uh, I think she's the front runner, definitely. But I'm disagreeing on who on who they might give the other shot to. I think Ana de Armas is the one who we might uh, th- who might be sneaking. A, we should have given this earlier win. But, you know, I don't necessarily disagree. Um, I, mean, I the problem with Blonde is it's. Um, there was all that controversy about it being anti-abortion and... Also it being, you know, not exactly super, super well-researched. Yeah. And, I mean, to be fair to them, they did base it on a Joyce uh, Joyce Oates Carroll book. Joyce Carroll Oates? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> um, so some of that might lie on her, but... Um, also, Netflix. Yeah, you think, well, well if, that, if that was going to be an if. <laughs> I mean, she was in another Netflix. She was in Knives Out uh, recently as Marta, and she was very, very good in the original Knives Out. Uh, I think if you were going to give her an Oscar recently, that's the one they should have done it for. Um, 
But it could also be that she's not really in the running at all, and Hollywood is just giving her the nomination because because uh, they love uh, Hollywood history and navel gazing. And hey, you know she's playing Marilyn Monroe, the great icon. So Hollywood is Ed. <laughs> uh, yeah, with about um, I would say they've got about uh, half your brain cells in aggregate. Well, that's that's very nice. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. All right. Uh, but anyway, now we're moving on to the next category, which is, this will be our second to last category of the evening. This is Best Actor. And the nominees here are Austin Butler uh, for Elvis, Colin Barrel, Colin Farrell for the Banshees of Inisherin, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Mescal, uh, in for Afterson, and Bill Nye for Living couple of surprise snubs here, uh, or at least what people expected to be snubs. Tom Cruise for Top Gun Maverick did not make the list. Will Smith for Emancipation did not make the list. Not really sure if we're surprised by that uh, being a snub. And Tom Hanks for A Man Named Otto did not make the list. I'm surprised people were expecting Will Smith to get another nomination. I, I, so my, a couple of hot takes with this one. I think the reason why it was widely expected for Will Smith to get the nomination um, is because um, his movie dealt with slavery. Um, mm. And the Academy loves that. Yes, the Academy does love... Uh, ties into that we love to pat ourselves on the back for being progressive by talking about how horrible this thing was. Uh, I think, you know, that's kind of outweighed by the politics of the situation of him just being completely excoriated by everybody for getting up and slapping Chris Rock on stage at the last Oscars him winning the Oscar last year and also emancipation by all accounts, not, uh, not being very good. Yeah. I, um, I personally, I'm not surprised by the, by him not getting nominated. I'm surprised that people are surprised Tom Cruise didn't get nominated. My godson has more acting talent than Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, Tom Cruise delivered uh, was what he needed to be here. He was. Uh, he's got. He. I'll, I'll give him. He's gotten very good at picking parts that he is able to play well. That use his talents very effectively. He is very good at branding himself. Yeah, I, sort of I, like uh, the same. Moderately similar reasons to why Keanu Reeves has gotten a late career resurgence. Yeah. But no one's surprised when he's not nominated. All I'm saying. <laughs> um, Listen, I, people will be watching John Wick long after they stop regularly watching any movie on the best picture list this year. <laughs> that That is a fair assessment. I will, so, be, I will be honest. I, I did expect Tom Hanks to get nominated. Yeah, I mean, a man named Otto was a one of those surprise hits in Middle America. Tom Hanks is well, he's Tom Hanks. Uh, as for our nominees, um, the sentimental favorite, the clear front runner, everyone else is an also ran um, to Brendan Fraser. Yeah, I think this is. Um, I definitely also think that this is Brendan Fraser's. Uh, Brendan Fraser's award. A race to lose. Uh, he's got that, you know, the story of him coming back after so long. He's got also supposedly a really, really good performance in The Whale. Uh, and he has made himself look very fucked up for that, which Hollywood uh, loves to give awards if you make yourself look fucked up. Uh, yeah, he, he did everything that you need to do to win. And I kind of hope he does win it, you know. Yeah, I nice, do. It'll be nice code for that story. Uh, um, and and hopefully he keeps taking on these challenging roles. Um, yeah, and not try to do a George of the Jungle sequel. <laughs> I don't know. I could go for a Mummy sequel. Only those if, were silly movies, but I liked them. Uh, only if it's his version of the Mummy, not Tom Cruise's. 
although that was well, the Tom Cruise version was terrible. <laughs> Obvious, obviously, we're talking about the Brendan Fraser version. <laughs> but anyway, unless people think I hate Tom Cruise, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I hate him. I just think he's a fucking idiot because he's a Scientologist, and if you're a Scientologist, well. <laughs> All right, are we ready for the big one? I think we are. Let's roll it. Uh, all right. The Best Picture of the Year nominees. All Quiet on the Western Front. From Netflix. Avatar, The Way of Water, Walt Disney, 20th Century Studios production. Uh, the Banshees of Isharan, Searchlight. Elvis, Warner Brothers. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, A24. The Fablemans, Universal Amblin uh, Partners. Tar, Focus Features. Top Gun Maverick, Paramount. Triangle of Sadness, Neon. Women Talking, Orion Pictures, United Artists Releasing. Um, the snubs here are um, Whoopi Goldberg's Till, um, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. With Till, I the the reviews were there. I just don't think that um, Whoopi has enough good standing with the Academy to even get a nomination right now. I think both of those movies would have been better choices for Avatar than Avatar: The Way of Water. That that is a fair assessment. Yes. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong; it's not like the first step. technical achievement. Uh, good cinematography, use of CGI that makes every other, literally everyone else doing it now, look like a complete hack job. But I mean, plot, characters, story, theme. Now you're asking too much of James Cameron. <laughs> yeah, evidently. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm thinking this is this is everything, everywhere, everywhere, all at once. That was like, I mean, that was really the big cinema success story of the year, right? Yeah, it came out. It was really fucking good. Uh, had something for everyone. Really got people's attention back into the theaters after a long time and also on top of that was a really 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 damn good movie yeah according to basically everyone who's seen it um i think it's everything everywhere all at once for the same reasons you've already stated um also it just feels like they want something a feel-good moment here yeah uh that being said i'm not ruling out triangle of sadness um, it's a satire, a black comedy, um, and it's not often that that sort of movie gets nominated, and usually when it does, it takes home the gold. Mm. Yeah, it is kind of rare to see an Academy nominate something that's even, you know, going for black comedy. <clears throat> um, I was reading about it, and it was, uh, it, I want to see it now. <laughs> Yeah, um, we're gonna have to see most of these. Like, I'm gonna see most of these between um, between, between now and March. when we actually see the um, awards get nominated, so I can complain at length about the inevitable bad decisions that the Academy makes. Uh, women talking is probably going to be a brutal one. Um, To watch, I mean. Uh, do you know the story yeah. behind that? I don't. Uh, it is the it is it is you know the adaptation of the book of the same name about um, women's reaction uh, in a conservative Mennonite community to discovering that there's a ring of men uh, drugging and raping women in the village. Uh, oh, I did hear about this. Some. One. Uh, some el- some women who were even elderly and some who were children. Um, it was super fucked up. It is looking to be super fucked up uh, to watch. Um, to say the least. I believe um, 
all quiet on the Western Front. I saw some. Um, <laughs> I saw some 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 of the usual crowd of idiots on Twitter throw, trying to throw a stink on it earlier this year because it was um, anti-war woke political garbage, uh, which <laughs> I mean, which I, I don't really like the kind of person who would. Um, I can't really fathom the inner workings of the kind of person who would be shocked and angry that all quiet on the Western Front was anti-war or would even have expected it to be anything otherwise. Uh, Banshees of any share, and it'll probably, it's always a treat to see Colin Farrell. He has quietly become one of the best actors around. I'm told we, I'm told that uh I'm told that um if you're interested in seeing more of his you should check out In Bruges. Yeah, that's a really good movie. You've seen it? Uh I I seen it a long time ago, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, um I'm I I have to admit I am kind of interested in the Fablemans because this was supposed to be Spielberg's swan song. I don't know that it necessarily um, is, but it was supposed to be his last movie that he directs. Mm. Yeah, I think this is good. I think we're going to see a Tom Brady situation here, <laughs> although possibly with less um, crippling embarrassment. <laughs> uh, we were watching that final game the other day. My brother. Um, Beginning of the game, my brother said we should count Tom Brady out because he's never lost to the Cowboys in the playoffs. Before this year! <laughs> but this is off topic. Uh, I I want to watch Elvis, but I just can't bring myself to do it. Because that accent of Austin Butler just makes me want to punch him in the throat. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Actors affecting an accent is always a real hit or miss business. But if it's somebody affecting an accent badly, then then you just it could be like fingernails on chalkboard. It's not just that it's bad; it's that he's so pompous about it. Awesome, love that happening. Uh, the good thing is, is I don't think Elvis is going to win any of the major awards. Yeah, I don't think he's got much of a chance. I think that. But, oh, go ahead. I think that. Yeah, I think that about covers it. Um, all our thoughts on the best on the best picture, best actor, best actress, and all the other big ones, all the other big nominees. And Tune back in in March to see how if we were right, and to see us complain about whatever bad decisions the academy manages to come up between now and then, and of course, tune in more between now and then. Hopefully, for more uh, piping hot takes to delivered directly to directly to your ears. Unfortunately, <laughs> and coming up next. We're going to be doing Politalk. That's right. He's letting me talk politics now, people. God help us all. <laughs> oh, well, it's not like it's going to be any worse than Kevin McCarthy talking politics. <laughs> I thought that was just shit coming out of his mouth. <laughs> Easy mistake to make. Easy mistake. Yeah. All right, that's coming up next. Stay tuned. All right. And we're back. Once again, Will has invited me to sit in on Politalk, which is really my nice way of saying he's forcing me to do this. But <laughs> We have to talk about George Santos again tonight. I need the moral support. <laughs> well, first of all, I just want to point out that this is the first time you have included me in any sentence that had the word moral. 
<laughs> you and I both know that that word has multiple meanings, and you know which one that I am using. <laughs> I do, and we both know that I'm going to take it however I want to. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, that's fair enough. We don't really have time to litigate this argument here, so we're just going to jump uh, straight into this. Uh, so, since we last left off things in the, since we last checked in with y'all, things in the house have been proceeding at pretty much the pace that we expected under Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy. There were a couple of major developments this week, to uh, this past week and a half or so, two of which I want to focus on, especially. One is McCarthy has finally gone ahead and done what he predicted, what he was predicted to do as soon as he became speaker. He has removed a couple of Democrats from committees. He has removed, among others, Adam Schiff and Eric uh, Swalwell from their positions on, especially the House Intelligence Community uh, Committee. This is mostly just revenge for Trump's impeachment, right? Like this, they, they have done nothing wrong. It's also revenge for um, it's revenge for kicking Gosar off the committee and denying Marjorie Taylor Greene placements, and it's also part of uh, their attempt to craft a narrative uh, regarding conspiracy theory regarding several conspiracy theories, uh, most notably the Hunter Biden laptop one. Are they in his uh, in the announcement he made about his decision? Kevin McCarthy said that Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell had undermined the committee's national security and investigative purpose through their actions, had ignored intelligence, and basically undermined the community, the committee's ability to do its job. That's in res- this is widely considered to be in response to their refusing to investigate the purported Hunter Biden story, which I'm going to give a brief overview here. Supposedly, uh, Republican operatives have attained a copy of uh, Hunter Biden's laptop that was left with a mechanic, um, and that it has damning evidence about some dealing or other that he was involved in. They don't really specify, but uh, they is supposedly, um, is supposedly about Joe Biden using his name for political favors, using the family name for political favors. Uh, but they have nothing problems to... with this. The first is that the chain of custody is fucked. There's, um, you know, it's been through a bunch of extremely partisan operatives. There's a lot of, you know, there's no evidence that there's some ev- there's evidence that the laptop didn't actually, uh, wasn't actually left with the repairman that it was stolen if it is actually Hunter Biden's laptop, which is uncertain. Chain of custody is a problem because it's been through so many people it could have had. So effectively, this could not be used in evidence, and it's unclear what evidence it supposedly has, so they haven't investigated it. So they're they're all worried about this laptop, but they are turning a blind eye to... Trump's tr- Trump's usage of a private cell phone. Mm. Among other things. Yeah, they're turning blind. I do a lot of things. You will not be surprised to find that... Um, Did we talk about the... Have we talked about the Mike Pence uh, classified document scandal so far here? Uh, we have. On this podcast? Uh, we... We... Uh, we touched base on it last week, I believe. Yes, okay. Well, you will not be surprised to note that there's not a lot of attention being paid to that. It has appeared to have caused some Republican operatives to back off the Biden classified document story for fear of hypocrisy because, as I mentioned, those two seem to be very similar in nature. Um, the The best thing, I, I forgot which talking head said it, but one of the talking heads I watch basically said that Obama and Bush were like, hey, come to our house, you can check us, we've already looked, we have nothing. (laughs) Um, And Biden and Pence should have probably kept their mouths shut until they checked their houses. (laughs) Well, yes, I imagine this has prompted, this string has prompted a review uh, of a lot of 
by basically every lawmaker who had classified information of all of their making sure all their shit is in order in addition uh, McCarthy has also occupied himself trying to gin up new policy put forth new policy um, in presumably new policy that will almost certainly never get passed but possibly red meat for the freedom caucus possibly an attempt to make it seem like the democrats are being obstructionist most recently he's uh he's been uh sorry let me try that again most recently he has been the main spokesperson for the new republican tax plan that was unveiled about a week and a half ago that involves that repeals the income tax and institutes a 30 percent uh sales tax across the board which is really just taxing the poor more and giving the rich a free pass yes exactly because ex- that's exactly true i mean a, a sales tax you know poor people i mean sort of the broad version of this is poor people need to spend a greater portion of their income on immediate purchases they can't uh, save money immediately and don't have access to the tools to shuffle money around that rich rich people have so a sales tax will hit them harder than an income tax would and an income tax a sales tax will not hit rich people as hard as an income tax would effectively a sales tax alone is a major regressive tax person i don't really understand the strategic sense of going after the poorest people in the country or you know government funding they already these people already don't have any money that's kind of you know in the description but that's neither here nor there so that's what's going that's what has been going on in the house outside of the uh devolving george santos story oh dear god uh one thing about the tax plan i and i learned this uh in my research this has been something that they've been wanting to do for the last 30, maybe 40 years. Uh, and they, But it was never taken seriously. This is a very fringe uh, policy. Um, and the only reason why it's getting uh, pushed forth now is because McCarthy was so horny for the speakership that he had to agree to put it forth. That's essentially, I mean, yeah, that is essentially correct. I, I made a joke earlier in an earlier episode about how we could effectively, uh, you can effectively treat Marjorie Taylor Greene as being the Speaker of the House at this point. And yeah, the Freedom Caucus holds power. McCarthy is very much, has to put forth their policies regardless of whether or not he believes in them. It's unclear that he believes in anything except holding more power. That was that was an ad hominem. <laughs> Perhaps I should say instead that he has proven remarkably, um, his vote has shifted very frequently over the years. Speaking of shifting. (laughs) Go ahead. Speaking of shifting, shall we go to George Santos? Yes. So when we last discussed the George Santos story, had the George Santos drag pictures come out? I don't think they had a... um, been fully circulated but i had definitely seen them well just in case we didn't discuss it last time that's confirmed george that's confirmed that it was in fact him he basically said i had fun in my youth shouldn't we all he really likes to play with like remarkably that actually seems to have um there have been more calls for resignations uh, for his resignation inside the Republican Party. To be fair, there were calls for it before almost as soon from some members of the party, almost as soon as news broke about his, well, whole history or lack of it. Uh, Here's how you know that this drag Also, started- to be fair, that reaction could be the... Uh, increase in calls for his resignation could be in response to an investigation into his donors. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was um investigation by Mother Jones um, found that more than a dozen of the donors that uh, George Santos listed as major contributors to his campaign uh, do not exist. 
And so he may be cooking the books on where he got, or deliberately trying to obscure where he got the money from. And at least one high-profile donor said, I have never donated to George Santos, and I would never donate to George Santos. So when Republican donors are saying they would not donate to you, it might be time to hang up your political career. Yeah, it's not great. The Nassau County um, Republican Committee has called for his resignation, and New York is unique in that uh, it would appointment of a representative is not just done by the governor. They have to hold a special election. Uh, if he were to be recalled or resign, Kathy Hochul would need to call a special election in his district. And the Republicans and the Democrats would need to put forth new nominees to run there. Essentially, sort of like in uh, in Georgia, special there was a special election for Senator in 2020, which is why Warnock had to run twice uh, in two years instead of uh, he was filling out a term. Santos seems to know that uh, he's in trouble because during his feud with uh, the infamous Trixie Mattel, uh, one of the last insults he lobbed at her was, I also beat the front runner. Uh, an implication that uh, Trixie was not supposed to win RuPaul's Drag Race season All, All Stars season three, <clears throat> um, and he was not. Remarkably, he's remarkably well informed about uh, RuPaul's All Stars Drag Race. George Santos. <laughs> I actually had to look up some of the references he was making. So, wow, more informed than you. Well, actually, I guess you're really more of a Fuller House guy. <laughs> And yet, well, this is not the time nor the place to cast aspersions on everybody's watching habits. <laughs> Santos himself has, uh, for the record, has said that he is not a criminal. Uh, he has denied allegations that he is making up donors, and he has committed to staying in office. So at this point, uh, he has. There's no sign of him resigning. You know who else said I'm not a criminal? Richard Nixon. Lots of criminals, yes. <laughs> I, I, do, I do know, yes. <laughs> Lots of criminals. Uh, the playbook didn't work very well for Nixon, but this is a different different Republican Party than it was in Nixon's time. That's true. That is very, very true. We're going to move on the main story of tonight, which is the big bombshell report the Times released at the end of last week about the John Durham, inve- Durham investigation. Oh boy, this shit show. So, a little bit of background. Back in the early days of the Trump presidency slash Trump administration, uh, a big uh, refrain from Donald Trump and his attorney general was that the investigation, and his string of attorney generals actually, was that the investigations against him were biased. It was He was the subject of a completely unfair witch hunt and a conspiracy theory by elements, uh, by elements within, quote, the deep state, and quote, supporting the Democrats or the liberal, what he referred to as the liberal agenda, a supposed collective of anti-Republicans in government who are determined to undermine his presidency. To that end, he actually appointed a special counsel during his administration to investigate the origins of the Mueller investigation, the claims of Russian uh, support for his campaign, basically to investigate the investigators. And the guy who was heading that up was a lawyer named John Durham. John Durham, before this, has been a fairly uh, media, is a fairly media shy guy, but he's had a fairly long, surprisingly storied career. He he was part of the task force uh, that prosecuted, that investigated and prosecuted Whitey Bulger. And after that, the, and but after that, admittedly, the story gets a little darker. He was uh, he served in several administrations. Most notably, he was appointed in two thousand eight to investigate the destruction of CIA videotapes of detainee interrogations, and recommended that no charges be filed in that regard. So for a long time, he's admittedly, however, 
that was the position of a lot of people within his party at the time that the program wasn't wrong and it was necessary to protect the safety of his country so he's been for a long time and admittedly bog standard uh, government lawyer mm-hmm. has generally defended uh, so he was appointed um, in 2017 uh, he was appointed in 2000 this no he was appointed in 2019 by bar to review the origins of the FBI's investigation to Russian elections. And that has been going on since in the background. He is a special counsel, which means that he is supposedly protected uh, to a degree from interference by the attorney general. Uh, the attorney general can't uh, shut down his appointment without drawing a huge, can't shut down his um, appointment. In theory, has walls between him and the rest of the Justice Department. For example, um, Merrick Garland has had to let uh, Durham's investigation continue, despite the fact that he that it's uh, the Democrats, um, the Biden administration probably does not want it to keep going. Uh, but presumably they thought that the probe would end up helping them because there was nothing really going on here. Uh, Durham's investigation over the course of its entire uh, coming up on four-year tenure, I suppose, now, has turned up three indictments, one of which produced a conviction. An FBI agent uh, was indicted and convicted for wrongfully uh, filing some emails and requests during an investigation. Now, Durham's investigation is coming to a close, his report is supposedly due fairly shortly, but the Times got out ahead of him with their investigation into how his, well, into how his investigation was being run. An investigation <laughs> of the investigation to the investigations, if you will. This is way too meta for me. <laughs> what they found is that Durham has come in from the beginning. Uh, he has not run on he has not, shall we say, run a particularly unbiased investigation. He was, despite the supposed distance the special counsel should maintain from the attorney general, that uh, he worked very closely with Barr to try to manufacture a narrative or uncover evidence of a narrative that, um, that would support Trump's allegations. Detractor, I've sort of jumped the gun here, but detractors have alleged that he was very much trying to manufacture evidence of a narrative where none was existing. Certainly, he was reprimanded by a judge who he submitted some filings to for including in the indictment that the indicted subject was part of a larger conspiracy to under to gin up a phony investigation on Trump when there was no evidence to suggest that, that was the case. So he was very much. So he was very much in, you know, in search of not in search of evidence. Uh, he very much had a story, and he was very much in search of that evidence for the story. Uh, supposedly, for example, they t- uh, treated a group of um, supposedly seized Russian memos that intelligence analysts had deemed fake and treated them as a valuable intelligence trove. Because, because they supported the theory that Russia had not been interfering in the U.S. at all, and this was completely made up. Supposedly, they um, he pushed really hard to secretly obtain a target's email, a target of the investigation's emails, without informing him. Um, generally. Uh, surprisingly and also yeah so generally he ran the investigation in private like Barr ran his you know ran his job ran his office at the attorney general's office in public very conspiratorial to the point where a number of deputies including one who supposedly had worked with him for a long time uh, uh, had resigned in protest 
the specific event that uh, triggered this was him bringing charges against Michael Sussman, a target of the right, with limited evidence. The weirdest episode the Times uncovered centered around a tip Durham received during a trip he was taking with Barr. Supposedly, uh, he received a tip uh, from Italian officials that Donald Trump had committed a financial crime. Barr received this for the record. Um, received a tip that Donald Trump had handled a financial crime. Barr handed it to Durham, and Durham uh, didn't look into it. It appears to have disappeared. Because, of course. Yes. This is so wild. There's Yeah. The Times alleges a pattern of, well, allegations that are not backed up with evidence. Uh, supposedly allegations against one of Hillary Clinton's lawyers and then one of Christopher Steele, the author of the since admittedly mostly discredited Steele dossier, uh, alleged that both had participated in broad claim, broad conspiracies to had coordinated with each other, had deliberately known that the information they were providing was false, but provided no evidence to do so. And so that was sort of a pattern with all of his indictments going far beyond what the actual evidence contained in the indictments was. So that broke and we've been dealing with the fallout for that over the weekend. Um, And it's been something. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, um, a lot of a lot of the typical crowd have rushed to defend Durham's investigation. The Wall Street Journal's editorial board have fully signed on with him, but this is in the investi- the Times's report prompted a lot of calls for well for Durham's findings to be discounted. A lot of criticism of how he run things, how he ran things. And frankly, that's probably going to bring about the destruction of his reputation. Um, Even more than uh, Mueller's report destroyed Barr's reputation? Barr destroyed his own reputation. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. (laughs) I mean, I think... Durham kind of made his career as a, you know, by-the-book government prosecutor right but given that he just has spent the past few years making allegations with absolutely no evidence that's going to cast a pretty major light on anything he does going forward so the main theme tonight with with republicans seems to be them trying to find a narrative and failing horribly or what we call the J.K. Rowling syndrome. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, she's been on her shit a lot lately. <sighs> she must be trying to promote another book. <laughs> I genuinely didn't hear about anything else she had on offer. I think it's just... Maybe to promote her new um, domestic violence charity shelter that she's backing. Oh, that could be too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it could be the uh, Hogwarts legacy. Yes, that we can. Can we really talk? Should we really be talking about that on Paul Talk? I mean, that is just, I mean, it is a video game. It is a video game. It's also J.K. Rowling, and she's a... Well, she's your problem, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it's drawn a lot of flack from the moment of its inception for supposed to be wildly... for relying on wildly anti-Semitic caricatures for, for its villains, you know, the... Um, and just having a lot of unfortunate information there... Uh, this is what supposedly this is a game where you can use unforgivable cur- cu- uh, unforgivable curses like killing curses with no consequence and that's the one and of course that's that and there have been a lot of unfortunate 
I've sort of lost the plot here. Um, <laughs> what I was trying to go for was some people, there's been some criticism of the fact that there are no consequences for using the killing curse in the game where the primary villains are the anti-Semitic caricatures, the goblet, the long-nosed, money-obsessed goblins who are upset with their lot in life being manipulated by dark wizards to steal wizarding children. Uh, one, one quick disclaimer, J.K. Rowling did not write, and nor does she have anything to do with Hogwarts Legacy, other than uh, it being based in her world and her making millions of dollars from it. That is quite correct. <laughs> And to be even more fair to her, there are, pre- there are some things in this game that she would probably object to, presumably the use of uh, the lack of consequences for using unforgivables that I just mentioned, uh, given that that was a pretty major uh, element of her world, was that those were, well... Unforgivable for a reason. Yes, exactly. So what are we looking forward to this week in politic news? Uh, what are we looking forward to this week? Uh, we're not looking forward to anything, but if you're talking about what we're going forward to next week, I expect to cover more of the fallout from this story. Uh, I wonder if Durham is going to try and release his report early uh, to... Well, defl- uh, to portray the story as a hit job designed to undermine his conclusions um just be on the lookout for that there's more uh there's been a, some discussion of some rather uh incendiary claims made by an air force general that we could be at war with china within two years oh, so we'll be discussing the fallout for that basically a lot of fallout from people being idiots so about the normal admittedly about as close to the normal progression of government as you can get we're also keeping an eye on one of the members of the House finally coming forward and trying to remove Kevin, Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. I think they're just waiting for the right moment, honestly. The right moment was when he lost the first time. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, any case. Uh, in any case. We're also, uh, we are keeping an eye on the situation at the court. They are being... We will update you as soon as we have information available on that. They're being very slow with their decisions this term. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this one. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.